Views and opinions expressed on this program are those solely of its speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of WMUA, its management board, or the board of trustees of the University of Massachusetts. It's hard to believe that seven months have passed since the World Health Organization declared the novel coronavirus a global pandemic back in March 2020. Hard to believe both because those seven months seem so long and because we've only lived like this for seven months. And the pandemic is far from over. In the United States alone, COVID-19 has stricken more than 7.8 million Americans and killed more than 250,000 of them. This fall at UMass, even as COVID-19 has prevented us from meeting and getting to know each other in person, the 15 students in the UMass journalism departments reporting for radio and podcasting class have taken a step back from this global toll to consider how COVID-19 has impacted a few individual lives. The following five stories you're about to hear provide intimate glimpses of how the pandemic impacts our mental health, our family structures, our goals for the future, and our day-to-day lives. I'm Kelsey Whipple, and I hope you'll enjoy these stories my students have to share. For WMUA News, I'm Bonnie Chen, and coming up, you'll hear about how COVID-19 affected my study abroad experience, the effects of the virus on mental health, and how it affected Student Government Association elections at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Ibn Aubint Beled. That's what I lost when I was forced to leave Jordan. The study abroad program directors told us that taxi drivers upcharge ride fees for foreigners, and after a few weeks of living there, we were fed up with it. For that reason, our professor taught us how to stop being treated as foreigners by the taxi drivers who try to scam us every day. Ibn Obint Beled. This phrase translates to son or daughter of country. I earned the status by finally getting to the point where I was confident in using Arabic every day to clap back at the taxi drivers who try to upcharge me. But because of COVID-19, I am bint Beled no longer. I took Middle East studies in Amman, Jordan in the spring semester of my junior year of college in 2020. Everyone in my program participated in an online orientation, which included a bunch of discussion posts before landing in Jordan. One of the discussion prompts asked us about our goals for our study abroad experience. Most of us, if not all of us, said we wanted to become proficient in Arabic. Our Jordanian colloquial Arabic professor taught us the useful phrase after my friend Aiden asked how to prevent taxi drivers from scamming us. That's when she taught us Ibn Albint Beled. Aiden Nye is a senior at Penn State University, and we enrolled in the same Middle East Studies program in Amman. For me, it was kind of a, a badge of honor towards the end of our time there, and I was in a cab with my friend, and the, the driver tried to scam us and not give us our change, and started arguing with him in, in Arabic, and he was pushing back, and we were saying, like, hey, no, you owe us this money. Um, but it, we weren't getting anywhere, and then finally I was like, look, Ibn Balad, and Ibn Balad, um, and immediately he handed us our change. Our Arabic professor said using the phrase in situations like these were the best way to get the locals' respect. It means something in the Jordanian culture, like, hey, I, I'm, I'm part of your culture, I'm part of this system, I know what's what, you can't pull one over me. 
But it isn't enough to just say that phrase and claim that status. I felt that steps to achieving this status included becoming proficient in Arabic and experiencing everything that a typical Jordanian local would. For example, undertaking Jordanian traffic. My fellow students and I described Jordanian traffic as lawless. Some of us face one particularly troubling street every day. I lived in an apartment rather than a homestay, so the taxi ride from the apartments to the study center ended with a drop-off on the side of Queen Rania Street in Amman. We were on one side of the street while our study center was on the other. Between us is two-way traffic with about three lanes going each way and no crosswalks in sight. Every day we had to cross this street that I like to call the Deathway Express. Experiencing Jordanian traffic and speaking Arabic every day were huge components of living in Jordan, and I lived the life of a Jordanian local for seven weeks. A program coordinator told us we had to leave in the next 48 hours on Saturday evening of March 14, 2020. The Jordanian government planned to cancel all incoming and outgoing flights the following Tuesday to stop any spread of COVID, but we still had two more months left in our program. This came at a time when I was starting to become really comfortable there. I spoke Arabic confidently with the locals, I went to my favorite cafes after class, and I was finally achieving the status of Bint Beled. However, once I left because of COVID-19, I was Bint Beled no longer. I had to leave behind the typical Jordanian day-to-day -day life, and I couldn't use and expand my Arabic skills in that setting again. Since leaving Jordan, I've spoken about the same amount of Arabic in the last six months that I would have practiced in only two weeks while abroad. The saddest part of my forced departure is looking back now and acknowledging that if I had stayed the full extent of my program, my Arabic skills would have grown that much stronger. I took a taxi back to my apartment on the night we were told to leave. I gave the driver directions in Arabic and we talked about why I was in Jordan, where he was from, and what his life was like in Amman. He complimented me on my Arabic at the end, saying it was really good. I still look back at that night and think about how stunted my departure from Jordan made my Arabic. This greatly affects my future as an aspiring international journalist who wants to work in the Middle Eastern region, because communication with sources is vital, and my success may ride on my Arabic proficiency. I can't pick up words as quickly because I don't have a setting in which to practice the language consistently. I take much longer to string coherent sentences together, and I just lack overall confidence when I speak in Arabic now. My main goal during my time in Amman was to achieve Arabic proficiency, but because of COVID, I can no longer achieve that goal. For WMUA News, I'm Bonnie Chen. COVID-19 continues to plague the country, uprooting the day-to-day -day lives of Americans. The Centers for Disease Prevention and Control states that from April to June, young adults reported three times more symptoms of anxiety and four times more symptoms of depression than they did in 2019. These results show the impact of COVID-19 on mental health. The harsh mental health effects of COVID-19 strikes particularly hard in younger adults. People between the ages of 18 and 24 experience the worst of it, as do racial and ethnic minorities and essential workers. UMass Amherst senior Elise Hankus has struggled with generalized anxiety disorder since she was 15 years old. She believed the pandemic would be short-lived at the start of quarantine. And I feel like at first I was like, this is a nice break. Like, I'm just not going to do anything for two weeks. And then I feel like after that, I was kind of like, oh, I'm not going to do anything for much longer than two weeks. And I think just staying at home, I'm very social. I'm definitely someone who needs social interaction to like survive. And 
I feel like it was hard because there wasn't like a good way to be like, okay, this will make it better because there wasn't anything to do really. The CDC suggests that mental health related issues like the ones Hankus faces strongly correlates to the morbidity of the virus. According to CDC panel surveys of US adults, more than 40% reported at least one adverse mental health condition, with more than 30% facing anxiety or depression-related symptoms, and 26% facing trauma or stress-related disorders specifically related to the pandemic. Young adults like Hankus feel these effects each week the pandemic rages on. Um, my friends do make fun of me. It is known that I cry every single Sunday, um, <laughs> mostly because I think on I try to keep myself as busy as I can during the week. I work and I do school. And I think on Sunday, it's like my first time to just kind of be like, oh shit, like I am sad that this is the way life is. UMass Amherst senior Sheila Lynch never struggled with her mental health prior to COVID-19. Now she battles anxiety, stressing every day over who she's seen, where she's been, and whether or not she's following life's new rules correctly. And I started to feel like, anxious just seeing people or if I went to a restaurant I just would feel like it just wasn't right. I think my body and my mind had a hard time adjusting from being isolated for so long into going out and seeing people and just doing things. UMass Amherst psychology professor and clinical psychologist Katherine Gordon-Dixon suggests that changing sleep patterns and fear of what's to come could be igniting higher levels of suicidal thoughts. There's been an increase in gun purchases and so access to weapons is actually um, a pretty key factor in driving suicide risk. So I think the combination of the anxiety uh, in connection with a pretty volatile political climate has prompted people to access means that they feel like will keep themselves safe, but actually might lead them to be more at risk. You must make me really nervous. Gordon Dixon predicts yeah. that as the pandemic continues and the Northern Hemisphere grows colder, psychological distress will increase. Along with the direct correlations between COVID-19 and adverse mental health effects, young adults have the hardest time with what the virus has ruined. Lynch says that college students are at the peak of their social lives, craving activity and companionship. I don't know, like being in your 20s, it's such a social age. Like it's our last year of college. Like we didn't expect this at all. We were expecting to illegal like to drink and like we can't go to the bars that was such a big thing being able to bring alcohol to a tailgate like we can't do any of the social things that we wanted to. COVID-19 continues to rage across the world breaking nearly everyone from generations of social norms. Whether it's an overwhelming feeling of being trapped in my house, fear of going outside, or fear of the virus itself, I experience the same mentally draining effects of the virus as Lynch and Hankus as I struggle with COVID-19 related anxiety every day. The three of us belong to what is now called Generation COVID, a group of young adults who could be affected by the harsh mental health implications of COVID-19 for the rest of their lives. I see young people, like, we have all this hope and like, we're so energetic and we wanna do things and get out of the house. And I feel like it's really hard to do that right now. Like, I have friends that I feel like will be affected by this like forever. If COVID-19 has taught us anything, it's to check in on our families, our friends, and ourselves. If you or someone you know is facing the mental health side effects of the coronavirus, call the hotline provided by the National Alliance on Mental Illness at 800-950-NAMI. For WMUA News, I'm Casey Connolly. 
Adjusting to online classes as a college student studying during a global pandemic is hard enough. Now throw in many hours of creating social media posts, a strict deadline to collect 200 signatures, and a lengthy public debate. Candidates running for president or vice president of UMass Amherst Student Government Association, or SGA, faced all of these things. Vice presidential candidate Sean Vo described this year's election process in one word. Draining. <laughs> um, it was very draining. Candidates started campaigning and collecting e-signatures in March of 2020. They reached debate day when UMass sent an email to all students that month notifying them they'd be sent home due to COVID-19. SGA halted the campaign process until this fall, a semester full of challenges. Among them, candidates could no longer rely on in-person interaction with other students while campaigning. SGA's newly elected president and my roommate, Sonia Epstein, says this year's election was very different from past years, especially the nominations. Usually you like have your friends sign your form and then you go to dining halls. You just walk up to random people. You're like, hey, this is what I'm hoping to run on. Will you help get me on the ballot? That's not the case right now. You know, I wasn't going to just go around like our apartments and be like, hey, what's up, guys? Candidates must collect a total of 200 e-signatures from UMass students to get their names on the election ballot. All three fall 2020 president and vice president pairs turned to social media to connect with students to get the signatures they needed. Social media succeeded for Epstein and their running mate, Jenny Chang, because their friends shared the content the two candidates posted online. Jenny and I are, are really lucky to have so many friends that believed in our vision as well, who really helped spread our form. And I know that a lot of the other tickets struggled a lot more. It only took Epstein and Chang a few days to collect the 200 e-signatures they needed. Vice presidential candidate Vo struggled with campaigning online because he has social anxiety. I do have like some sort of social anxiety. <laughs> that sort of got worse when it came to online, like getting signatures just because suddenly I was reaching out to friends that I haven't reached out to in like quite some time and I hate that feeling because if people know anything about me, it's that I value genuine connections and genuine bonds. The candidates say it is much easier to form genuine connections with students in person. Presidential candidate Kyle Kendall says not being able to reach students he did not already know on social media held back his campaign. Because I'm not too big on social media, I had um, really no contacts with the incoming freshman class. And I think that kind of was a huge loss SGA elections take place in the spring semester of a typical school year, which means next year's freshman class are not on campus until the fall. COVID-19 changed that standard this year, however, because elections took place this September with new freshmen already enrolled. According to Vo, the freshmen played a large and new role in this fall's election. The freshman class is a lot bigger. If we did the election in the spring, we would have had a lot less votes. Well, hi everyone, and welcome to the 2020 SGA debate. My name is Cassie McGrath, and I am the news editor at the Massachusetts Daily Collegian. Candidates participated in a public debate over Zoom on September 20th, and voting lasted from September 21st through the 25th. Epstein and Chang won the election with 60% of the vote, according to the Massachusetts Daily Collegian. They received 1,175 votes out of 2,193 total votes. Kendall and his running mate Chris Figueredo came in second, while Vo and his running mate Michael Suchecki came in third. Epstein did not expect to win the presidency. 
we got the news, I, I just started crying. I was so in shock that um, we had won and won by so much. Kendall says Epstein and Chang are a good fit for president and vice president, despite his own loss. Uh, even though that we, we lost the race, you know, the student body is in great hands with Sonia and Jenny. Um, and I'm looking forward to working with both of them in whatever capacity that might be this year. Some of Epstein and Chang's platform points include bringing more diverse counselors to the Center for Counseling and Psychological Health, making actionable changes based on the Racial Justice Coalition's demands, defunding the UMass Police Department, and supporting registered student organizations during COVID-19. All three candidates say campaigning was worth the struggles of adjusting to online. Campaigning was stressful, SGA is stressful, but like if you find a way to do work that does benefit the students, then it is definitely worth it, no matter how draining it is. For WMUA News, I'm Rebecca Duffy. Stick around to hear the work being done on antibody therapy for COVID by senior bioscientist manager TJ McCagnan and the stories of three students whose study abroad experiences were cut short due to COVID. We'll be right back. Thomas McCagnan has been working on COVID-19 therapies for the past six months. The work he does is shaping the future of treatment for the novel coronavirus. McCagnan goes by the name TJ. He is a senior biosciences manager at Thermo Fisher Scientific and my father. The 49-year-old works in a direct antibody therapy for COVID. The treatment does not serve as a vaccine for the disease. It is a direct antibody, it's a two-antibody cocktail that is injected into a patient which binds to the COVID virus at the different spikes on the surface of the protein, I mean of the virus, and that triggers an immune response, clear the virus out, and provide an acute immunity to the virus. The COVID-19 pandemic still rages on both internationally and nationally. McCagna's job is both as a salesman and scientist. Maintaining multiple positions has added more stress to his workload. There's been challenges with regards to operating under COVID restrictions that affected research, you know, just as it has every other, you know, industry and every other person, because we can't have the labs at full capacity. We have to socially distance. We have to coordinate our efforts and say at the same time that we are faced with restrictions on having the lab at 25% capacity and minimizing the amount of interactions and time that we're working in the lab. We are using the full power of the federal government to defeat the coronavirus, and we will do whatever it takes, and we're doing, I think, really, really well. Work stress occurs a lot for McCagden. His 19-year-old daughter, Sydney, feels that his stress levels have increased over the past six months. After we went to bed at night, he went back downstairs and worked until 1, 2 a.m., and it would be up before we were most days of the week. I think now with this increased both in the projects that he has to do on top of the work he was doing before this all started with like the whole pandemic, I think his stress levels are very high. But I do think some drawbacks of being able to work from home and save some time out of his commute has helped alleviate some of that stress, but not all of it. Having a high-ranking job in the science field has taken a toll on McCagnin's sleep. The 49-year-old has dealt with insomnia over the past two decades. 
that kind of self-trained insomnia from working and going to grad school at the same time. That was, was honestly a training that I had to put myself through that you just live with less sleep. But it does make it hard, you know, when you have the opportunity to, to catch a full night's sleep and you find you can't because your head won't stop. McCagnan's stress levels may be high, but his wife Stephanie feels that him being home is arguably the most positive part of the pandemic. McCagnan's 11-year-old daughter Taylor is currently being homeschooled due to the restrictions of COVID. The changes that go on here aren't just his job, you know, like Taylor's home. So he knows that Taylor's homeschooling and, you know, it's more pressure to get things back the way they were supposed to be. I help Taylor during the day more than Daddy, but he's, you know, he's always there in the evening. Hi, TJ McCagnan, Thermo Fisher Scientific, and I help you. McCagnan is helping shape the future of medicine for the coronavirus. The coronavirus has affected the entire world. Millions are dead and billions more are waiting for McCagnan's work to be finished. Only time and patience will lead to an effective therapy for COVID. For WMUA News, I'm Justin McCagnan. See you soon. More than 300,000 American college students packed their bags during the spring 2020 semester to study abroad. UMass Amherst seniors Kaylee Donzi, Emery Abar, and Chloe Haynes were among these students. When concerns surrounding COVID-19 broke worldwide in March of 2020, the three students found themselves quarantining in their childhood bedrooms rather than exploring the world. Donzi participated in the National Student Exchange Program to study environmental science on the Hawaiian island of Oahu. There, she attended the University of Hawaii at Manoa for two months before she returned home because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I honestly wasn't terribly torn up about the fact that I got sent home early because I was just grateful to have even have been there at all. Abar studied public health through the UMass Exchange Program in Adelaide, Australia. His exchange program began February 15th, and even after COVID-19 became an international concern, organizers never officially canceled the program. However, he ultimately decided to return home March 19, 2020. Abar spent just a little over a month in Adelaide. This is less time than he spent applying for the program. My parents are both older. They work in medicine. At the time, it wasn't clear how their offices were going to handle the whole COVID pandemic. And then also, I'm an only child, so if anything did happen, the logistics of like being stuck in Australia and figuring out getting home or figuring out any kind of emergency situation would have been pretty complicated. Haynes studied Spanish and political science through Academic Programs International in Seville, Spain. She left Spain with seven weeks left in her program. However, she had planned on staying an extra month after her program's original end date in May to travel across Europe. I just kind of realized that I wanted to get out of there. And at that time, none of us really knew what was going on with the virus. So I just wanted to be at home with my family. Donzi, Abar, and Haynes all struggled with their transitions home as they entered quarantine not knowing when this period of uncertainty would end. All three say spending time outdoors and creating workout regimens especially helped them handle the anxiety of quarantining. Donzi also relied on drawing and journaling to help ease her mind. Abar began cooking and reading to pass time, and Haynes baked and returned to her childhood hobby of playing the piano. Despite these newfound hobbies, all three students struggled with the boredom of life under quarantine. With the lack of motivation, like I didn't even want to really do anything. Nothing could really satisfy the boredom. Because Abar's Australian University never officially canceled the program, 
All seven of his flatmates chose to stay in Australia despite the pandemic. He kept in touch with them through FaceTime and other messaging services. At the time of Abar's departure from Australia, his university had yet to create a suitable online course plan. So his academic advisors at UMass advised him to drop the semester. He missed the sense of structure school provides, but adapted to a new life at home with his parents in lockdown. He's going from being the most independent I had been in my life to the least independent suddenly, like it was back in high school. After spending a few months in quarantine, Abar discovered new ways to feel normal. Going out for walks, going out for hikes, just anything like said to make me not feel like I'm living through a pandemic. Even it was just like meeting a friend in a parking lot and some beach chairs and sitting away from each other, just trying to pretend that there's at least some sense of normality here. Quarantine was the first time Donzi experienced life as an only child. Her younger brother was attending a golf academy in Florida at the time, and her family deemed it safer for him to stay there than to return to their Massachusetts home. Through her time in quarantine, Donzi's new hobbies and her mother helped her maintain a positive attitude. I really obviously didn't enjoy my time in quarantine, but my mom and I would remind ourselves that what you're feeling is temporary, nothing is permanent. After returning home from Seville and entering quarantine, Haynes took a new and significant role in her home and her family, while balancing the online schoolwork she still had to complete for an abroad program she was no longer experiencing abroad. I did all the grocery shopping for my family, and I had to disinfect everything all the time. We disinfected our bathroom like three times a day and our kitchen and everything like that. As businesses and communities began to reopen in the United States during the summer of 2020, Abar and Haynes returned to their jobs working at a produce stand and a waterfront restaurant respectively. Donzi worked remotely this summer conducting groundwater research for an environmental science professor at UMass. As the summer came to a close, Donzi, Abar, and Haynes all returned to the Amherst area for the start of their senior year. Their lives this fall differ drastically from their past expectations as they navigate through Zoom fatigue, boredom, and adjusting to the new normal. I miss social gatherings, not like parties, but just seeing a bunch of people at one time. It would be nice, but now it's kind of, for better and worse, feeling like the new normal. Although the college seniors maintain positive attitudes towards the future, they continue to mourn the loss of the senior year they dreamed of as freshmen. For WMUA News, I'm Melanie Grados.